Welcome to the evening episode of Honey in the Rock. We hope you've had a great day and we've got a great show ahead for you. Stick with us. This evening's episode is titled, Blessed be the glory of the Lord from his place. It shall be focused on a study of Ezekiel chapter 3. Before we go any further, we begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank thee for the opportunity to come before thee. May you speak to us out of thy word again. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Up next, we shall listen to Ezekiel chapter 3. Ezekiel 3. Moreover, he said unto me, Son of man, eat that thou findest, eat this roll, and go speak unto the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat that roll. And he said unto me, Son of man, cause thy belly to eat, and fill thy bowels with this roll that I give thee. Then did I eat it. And it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. And he said unto me, Son of man, go, get thee unto the house of Israel, and speak with my words unto them. For thou art not sent to a people of a stranger speech, and of an hard language, but to the house of Israel. Not too many people of a strange speech, and of an hard language, whose words thou canst not understand. Surely, had I sent thee to them, they would have hearkened unto thee. But the house of Israel would not hearken unto thee, for they will not hearken unto me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. Behold, I have made thy face strong against their faces, and thy forehead strong against their foreheads. As an adamant, harder than flint, have I made thy forehead. Fear them not, neither be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. Moreover he said unto me, Son of man, all my words that I shall speak unto thee receive in thine heart, and hear with thine ears, and go. Get thee to them of the captivity unto the children of thy people, and speak unto them, and tell them, Thus saith the Lord God, whether they will hear, or whether they will forbear. Then the Spirit took me up, and I heard behind me a voice of a great rushing, saying, Blessed be the glory of the Lord from his place. I heard also the noise of the wings of the living creatures that touched one another, and the noise of the wheels over against them, and a noise of a great rushing. So the Spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went in bitterness, in the heat of my spirit. But the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. Then I came to them of the captivity at Tel Abib, that dwelt by the river Kabar. And I sat where they sat, and remained there astonished among them seven days. And it came to pass at the end of seven days that the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore hear the word at my mouth, and give them warning from me. When I say unto the wicked, Thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood will I require at thine hand. Yet if thou warn the wicked, and he turn not from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way. He shall die in his iniquity. But thou hast delivered thy soul. Again, when a righteous man doth turn from his righteousness, and commit iniquity, 
and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because thou hast not given him warning, he shall die in his sin, and his righteousness which he hath done shall not be remembered, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the righteous man, that the righteous sin not, and he doth not sin, he shall surely live, because he is warned. Also thou hast delivered thy soul. And the hand of the Lord was there upon me. And he said unto me, Arise, go forth into the plain, and I will there talk with thee. Then I rose, and went forth into the plain, and behold, the glory of the Lord stood there, as the glory which I saw by the river of Chabar, and I fell on my face. Then the Spirit entered into me, and set me upon my feet, and spake with me, and said unto me, Go, shut thyself within thine house. But thou, O son of man, behold, they shall put bands upon thee, and shall bind thee with them, and thou shalt not go out among them. And I will make thy tongue cleave to the roof of thy mouth, that thou shalt be dumb, and shalt not be to them a reprover, but they are a rebellious house. But when I speak with thee, I will open thy mouth, and thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, He that heareth, let him hear, and he that forbeareth, let him forbear, for they are a rebellious house. Up next, we shall listen to a sermon by Rev. William Branham, titled Thirst. This was preached in 1965 on September the 19th. We'll begin at paragraph 48 up to paragraph 130. I trust you find it to be a blessing. Like David described it here in the Psalms, as a heart painteth after the water brooks, so painteth my soul after thee, O God. As a heart painteth after the water brook. I've often thought as reading of this, of David, David was a woodsman, a hunter, and he hunted deer, of course, and many, uh, we in this day hunt them, the heart is a deer. And we find, if you ever seen the dogs, the wild dogs will grab a deer, and uh, usually they got like the coyote fang, and he can grab the deer right above the burr of the ear here and swing his weight, he cuts the throat of the deer, and the deer doesn't have a chance then. But sometimes the, the, the dog, like in Africa, there the wild dog, will grab the deer right in the flanks. If he misses the throat, he'll grab the second time at the flank. And if the deer is strong enough and quick enough, he can shake the dog off. The deer is much faster. The dog stalks him when he's not looking and when he's upwind from him. And, and he, uh, he don't know the, the dog is near. And then when the wild dog grabs him, if he's real quick, he can throw it off. And well, But when the dog comes out of the flank, he's got a whole mouthful of the deer's flesh. Or when he grabs at his neck sometimes, he'll cut close to the jugular vein and miss it. And the deer's shaking him, will pull a whole chunk of meat out of the deer's throat. Then the blood begins to run. And then the dog will come right on the trail of that blood after the deer and as the life of the deer begins to dwindle as the blood, is, which is the life stream to the body, 
as that begins to dwindle down, the deer gets weaker, and the dog, then, or the wolf is right behind the deer. Now, if that deer can't find water, now water has something in it that when the deer drinks the water, it stops the bleeding. But if he don't get water to cool him off, then the, the blood keeps flowing out faster because he's running, keeping his heart pumping. But if he can ever get to water, the deer will live. Now, there's a great lesson there. See, and David's saying here, as the heart painteth for the water brook, my soul painteth for thee, O God. Now, that deer knows unless he finds water, he's gone. He just can't live. I've tracked him many times after being wounded. When he hits a stream of water, he'll cross in and get a drink, go up over the hill, come back down, cross, get a drink of water, and go up. You'll never catch up with him as long as he'll follow that stream. But once when he leaves the stream, if he can't find another water brook somewhere, you'll catch him right away. And now the deer knows that, so he'll stay right with the water where he can get to it right quick. Now, could you imagine a deer with his nose up? He's been caught out somewhere where there's no water. And he says, as the heart uh, thirst or painteth is the thirst after the water brooks, my soul thirsts after thee, O God. Unless I can find you, Lord, I'll perish. I, I, I can't go unless I find you. And when a man or woman, boy or girl, gets that kind of a thirst for God, he's going to find something. See? But when we come at it just kind of halfway, well, I'll kneel down and see what the Lord does. See, you're not really thirsting yet. It's got to be a thirst between death and life. And then something takes place. The deer also here, he's, uh, we find uh, and he is also has another sense of smell that sets off an alarm in him when his enemy is near. He's possessed this uh, little creature with a, a sense to protect himself. And he's, uh, he's got a little alarm in him, a little something that he, he tickles his nose when the enemy's near. You can get in the wind of the enemy, and he knows that you're there and he's gone. Sometimes a half a mile away, he can smell you and get away, or the wolf or any danger. He's able to sense it because that he's made up that way. He's a deer by nature. And that sense in him is just one of the God-giving senses to him to live by. And I thought comparing the deer with a man that's thirsting for God. Before the enemy gets there, there's something about a child of God. That when you once are born into the Spirit of God, receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, there's something about the person that can sense the enemy. You can take a man when he's taking the Scripture and reading the Scripture and trying to inject something to that Scripture that's contrary to the Scripture. A man that's filled with the Holy Ghost can sense that right quick. There's something out of the way. When he gets into a place and, and uh, that little certain sense in there that uh, it's done to protect your life. You, you, mustn't, uh, you mustn't never go for anything unless it's exactly the Word of God. You must stay right exactly with that word. And now, 
And we are uh, uh, secured with that sense as long as we're in the Holy Spirit. You can go to reading. Like, for instance, somebody say, now go to read Mark 16 and say, And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues or take up serpents or drink daily things. It would not harm them. If they lay their hands on the sick, they shall recover. Now, then you find a person get up there and say, Now, that was for the apostolic age. That, now, right quick, if you have received the Holy Spirit, you've been endowed with that sense. It sets it off. There's something wrong there. See? You try to explain it away that's for another day. That uh, really, you don't need those things today. But Jesus said, These signs shall follow them that believe. There's a little something sets off in you, a little buzzer, and knowing that that's wrong. And that's the way of death. Because Jesus said, If we add one word to this or take one word from it, our part's taken out of the book of life. Not one scripture. We must take it just the way it's written. And God watches over his word to perform it. And we know that it's got to be just right. So therefore, no matter what a church would say, what anyone else would say, if you're born of the Spirit of God, you become part of the Bible. God told Ezekiel, the prophet, he said, take the scroll and eat it. Then the prophet and the scroll became part of each other. And that's the believer when he receives the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wrote the Bible, and the Spirit of God is the Word of God. My words are spirit. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Hebrews 13.8 is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when you are a part of that Word, oh, then let something come up contrary to that Word, because the little buzzer sets off right quick. See, it's to warn you that death is in the road. We should never do that. There is a, also these thirsts are just natural. They are natural for the Christian. They are natural for the human being. There is also a thirst for success. So many people today, how we school for this thirst? We just notice the start of the university up. And we go down there and people spend thousands of dollars to send their children to the school and and to universities and colleges and so forth to get an education to be successful, they call it, in life. But now I have nothing against that. That's all right. But to me, you could get all the schooling in the world and still you haven't found the right success. That's right. Because that will just temporarily make uh, things a little easier for you here. And there's, uh, but when you die, you leave all that behind you. And this entire economy that we have, I was standing the other day at Phoenix, stand quoting again, that all this modern civilization, the whole educational program, the whole scientific program, is all contrary to God's Word and His will. Civilization. Absolutely, there'll never be a civilization in the world that is to come like this one. This is the perverted civilization. God had his first civilization upon the earth. When he spoke his words and they come up every seed of its kind. And in that civilization, there was no death, sickness, sorrow. 
And now we take the things that is in the scientific world that was put here to hold it together and pervert it into something, and that brings death. Like the atomic bomb. I don't know the formulas of these things, but I might say this wrong. They take uranium to split a, a molecule, and a molecule breaks an atom. Or, what does it do that? It just annihilates almost, just destroys. Everything that we do, we take medicine. Put this farmer with this farmer to cure this and put it into us. And what do we do? We tear down something else. Now, I guess you read, read last month's Reader's Digest that it said that in this age that we're living in now, that young men and women meet, reach middle age between 20 and 25 years old. Think of that. Little girls in menopause and 20, 22, 23 years old. Middle age. You see, what's done it? It's been this hybrid food and stuff we're eating. See? It's the stuff, the food, and the, the life that we're living. Scientists has brought it to us, and in doing so, they're killing you. I was in Africa where I see them boys that never had a dose of medicine in their life. They eat uh, meat that had maggots in it. They drink out of a pool that it looked like would kill an ox. And... I was shooting a target at 200 yards, and I couldn't see it with a pair of 750 binoculars. And a man my age is standing there telling me where I was hitting with his naked eye. <laughs> now, if all this modern culture has done something, I feel if I had his eyes and his stomach, I'd be a pretty good man. Yeah. But there you are. You see, that's what science, education, civilization, we're destroyed by it. We destroy ourselves. It started in the Garden of Eden and runs on far today. But thirsting for success, man, we thirst for fellowship. We go, we want fellowship. It's like a young man and a young woman. Now, it's not unnecessary or not, uh, I mean, unnatural for a young man and a young woman to, to love one another. It is a thirst for love. It's her age. And they, they love one another, and it's not unnatural. That's just a natural thing for them to do that. Now, we find many things in the life that we live in the natural body that we thirst for. It's just something sets in us. We want to do it. We absolutely feel that it's necessary, and it is necessary that we do it. We find many uh, women um, in these days uh, uh, thirst for beauty. Uh, there isn't a woman. It's a natural thing. For a woman to thirst to be pretty, that's, that's her God-given instinct and, and her beauty that God gave her for her mate. And now we find out that women want to be that way. Why is it? It's just because it's something God gave her. It's not wrong for women to be pretty. They should be. And you know, they are the only creature that, that the female is prettier than the male. It's in the human race. Every other animal, take the, the cow to the bull, the doe deer to the buck, the hen to the rooster, the mother bird to the father bird, always you find the male is big and pretty. But on the human race, show, there's where the perversion comes, it turns around. And it's the women. So it's, it's pretty. And they lust to be pretty. Not like some of these worried creatures we see on the street of this day. <laughs> no, no. Not that kind of pretty. No. That's the hardest looking sight I've ever seen in my life. Yes, sir. That is a perversion. That's perverting the true thirst. Now, the true thirst that a woman should have 
would be to adorn themselves in modest apparel and to have a Christ-like spirit. First Timothy 2, 9. Now, that's a way the woman should thirst to be. Now, if you want to be pretty, that's the way what makes you pretty. See? It's a Christ-like spirit adorned in modest apparel. Oh, my, some of these people today, uh, out on the streets, you can't tell a man from the woman. And it, it's a... It's the most horrible-looking thing. It should, I, it's, it's, I, I never see anything like, like human beings. It's beyond human. Eyes painted way up like that, and you know, them funny-looking lizard uh, 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 eyes, and all them uh, funny-looking clothes, and well, I don't even also out of form. They don't even look like a human being. And some of them boys out here with their hair combed down, their sisters' rollers in front here, you know, why it's a complete perversion. That's right. It's, a, it's, a, it's Satan. And Satan is a perverter. When God made everything in the Garden of Eden, it was lovely. Then Satan come in and perverted. Satan cannot create nothing. There's only one creator, that's God. But Satan perverts the original creation. And now he's got into this. I want to speak tonight about perverting the, the original creation of thirst. Now, a woman, as I said before, wants to be pretty. There's something in her that she's feminish, and she wants to be that way. But the way they are on the street today, hair cut like a man, wearing man's clothes, and then man turn around wearing women's clothes and a hair cut like a woman. See, it's a perversion, the whole thing. Your food's perverted. Your life's perverted. Your thirst perverted. Your desire's perverted. It's a day of perversion. I was speaking here not long ago on Satan's Eden. God took 6,000 years and made a perfect Eden. Satan come over and sprayed them seeds and deformed them. Now he's got 6,000 years and he's got his own scientific Eden. Right back again on a perversion of the right. And this is the age of high breeding. High breeding. They've even got the, the churches today to their high bread. That's right. They get in here, they just go to church. It's a lodge instead of a church. A church is a place where people come together and worship God in spirit and in truth. And today it's a lodge. We go there and have a little time to shake hands and fellowship and some black coffee in the back of the building and go home till next week. We've done our religious duty. Now, it's a perverted age. And Satan is perverting these thirst that God put in you to thirst. Satan is perverting them. Now, if you want to know the right perversion, if you, uh, the women wants to be pretty, take 1 Timothy 2.9. That's how they're adorning themselves in modest spirit, with apparel, with a Christ-like spirit, meek, subject to their husbands and so forth. That's the way that you should be adorned. Your life you live. He perverts the true nature of God and the true thirst of God of the body and soul by lust for sin. Sin of perversion. Now, we find out a person today, the way they've took that perversion, thirst for God, the thirst for to be pretty, and all these thirsts for, for water, they turn that into satisfying that with drinking. The thirst for joy, everybody wants to have joy. Thirst for fellowship, all these great thirsts that God put into us, that we might thirst after Him, God made you to thirst after Him. And we try to satisfy it with some other kind of a thirst. 
with some other kind of perversion of the correct thirst. See how it's in the natural? See how it's in the spiritual? We think as long as we join church, that's, 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 that's all we have to do. Well, that is absolutely wrong. No, God wants you to thirst for Him. As the heart painted for the water brook, my soul thirsts after thee, O God. See? See? Now, uh, if that deer was painting for the water brook, what if somebody come along and another buddy deer could come along and say, say, I'll tell you what I, I, I can do. I know where there's a mud hole down here. Well, that deer wouldn't want that. He, that wouldn't do him any good. And there's nothing can satisfy that thirst that's in the human being until God comes in. He must have it or die. And no person has a right to try to hush or satisfy that holy thirst within him by the things of the world. No, sir. It's ungodly to do so. And if you thirst for God, don't shake hands with the preacher and put your name on the book. If you're thirsting for God, there's only one thing to satisfy, that's meet God. If you're thirsting for God, that's the only way you can meet Him is to do that. And then there is a great danger also if you don't watch what you're doing in that time. If you're thirsting for God, be sure it's God you find. See? Be sure that it's, your thirst is satisfied. But if Satan has been able to pervert you from these natural appetites, and that he'll do if he can. He'll, he'll simply make you try to be satisfied. A man get out. What makes a man get drunk is because he's worried and tore up. There's something lacking in him. I was at Mayo sure not long ago, and I was up there on an interview, and then was told in this that talking about drinking. And uh, I told him that my father drank. So what made him drink? I said, I don't know. He said, it's because that there was something that he wasn't satisfying. And he thought he could drink to throw it off his mind. I caught it right then. See? It was really God was the only thing that can satisfy that thirst. God himself is the only thing that can satisfy that human thirst is to accept God. Now... Satan takes these things, as I said, and perverse them. Then, if, you're, if, you're, if you won't give that thirst the right place in your life and won't thirst and take the things that God provided to stop that thirst with, to quench it, then Satan will lead you to some of his stagnant cesspools of this world. You must have it somewhere. If you can't find food, you'd eat from a garbage can. See? And if you, if you couldn't find water and you was dying, you'd drink out of a, a pool of any kind because you're perishing. But there's no reason for that, for you're thirsting for God, because God is a living God. Not some historical something. My soul thirsts for thee, the living God. Amen. Something that gives living waters. Something that satisfies. There's another nature, a natural, just a natural thirst, uh, and that thirst of the soul you might say, Brother Branham, is that soul thirst, is that natural? Yes, that's natural for a soul to thirst. And um, it's for God made you this way that so that you would thirst for Him. He wants you to thirst after Him. Now, God made you like that. He didn't have to make you like that, but He did do it. And if He hadn't made you like that so that you would thirst, there would be an excuse at the judgment bar saying, I, I, I never did thirst for God. But there's no excuse you do. 
You'll make it somewhat. You might make it your wife. You might make it your car. You might make it something else. You might go to church and try to satisfy it. And I, nothing gets going to church, but that isn't a satisfaction. It's to find God, the living God, the God of heaven into your soul that satisfies that longing and thirsting that you belong for. Now, for he made you so you could thirst for him, for his fellowship. Now, there's a genuine thirst for fellowship. Now, we like to meet with one another. We're doing that tonight. We meet here together tonight because we like to fellowship one with the other. Why do we do that? Because there's something in us that we want to meet one another. That's just natural. And now we meet on a common ground here. That is because we're all thirsting for God. See? And then we meet here on this regular common ground here of fellowship. In the church tonight here might be many different denominational views and so forth. But when it comes to that thirst, we can meet on a common ground. One ground we all thirst. Some might be even sprinkling the other in baptism and one in pouring or so forth. But when it comes to the thirst for God, we, we come on one mutual ground. And God made us so that we would do that. Thirst for Him and for His fellowship. I don't know anything. When I was a little boy, I remember I was raised in a real poor family. I remember of many times I'd go out with fellows. Uh, they couldn't dress like to go out to a decent place. But I, I don't know. There's something about uh, people that I liked. I, I liked to get with them, but I was more or less what's called a black sheep. And when I got saved and found that something in me that I thirsted for, a, a friend, somebody that would be a buddy to me, somebody I could trust, somebody you could sit down to and talk your troubles over with. And when I found that real, true satisfaction, when I found Jesus Christ, Amen. that real, true satisfier that Amen. takes away all, all uh, quenches all that thirst and gives you something that it just looks like that there's just nothing to take his place. And now, how Satan tries to pervert this satisfying of the soul, that thirst for the soul. He tries to give you everything to satisfy. And he's so deceitful in these days of perversion. This is a perverted world. It's a perverted race. It's a perverted people. Everything is perverted. And it's perverted so gradual until it's become the most deceitful age that we've, any human being ever lived in. It's more deceitful than it ever was. Now, you just, you just can't imagine of how uh, deceitful the nation's got, even with our own brethren, uh, like American people. I was speaking some time ago. I was in the woods a few weeks ago and found a, uh, a cigarette pack laying in the woods. And it said on there, a thinking man's filter. And I went on down through the woods a little ways, and I come back kept bearing on my mind, a thinking man's filter uh, and a smoking man's taste. Well, I was at the World Fair a couple of years ago here, and they had that Yule Brenner, all of them over there, and was making de demonstrations of cigarettes. And how they took that smoke and put it across a piece of marble and took a Q-tip and raked up that nicotine off there and put it on the back of a rat. In seven days, he had so much cancer, he couldn't get up on his feet see, from one cigarette. And then they showed how and when that goes into the human lung, some of them say, I don't inhale, I just puff it in my mouth. 
shows how it gets into the slab and goes right down just the same into the throat. And then this man said, you see so much talk about a filter. He said, now, if you have a desire, there's a thirst, you see, a desire to smoke a cigarette, one natural cigarette might satisfy that desire for the time being. But if you've got a filter, it takes four cigarettes to satisfy. said, because you're only getting about one-fourth of the smoke. Instead of smoking man's taste, see, you cannot have smoke unless you get tar. And when you got tar, you got cancer. So there you are. See, it, it's just a gimmick. And I think of, of, of uh, a tobacco company that's in this nation and, uh, and it lives by this nation. And then with a gimmick like that to absolutely deceive American citizens, to deceive them. A thinking man's filter, it's only a gimmick to sell more cigarettes. Then I thought of that thing, a thinking man's filter. I thought, that's a good idea. So there is a thinking man's filter. That's this Bible. A, a thinking man's filter, it'll take this filter, it'll produce a righteous man's taste. See? Now, you cannot pull sin through the pages of this Bible. No, it stops it. It fills it out. Now, you can go to church and just take anything. But you can't come through this Bible and have sin. It will not do it. It filters out all sin. And it gives a holy man's taste. Because if the man is thinking that he wants to be holy and be like God and be a son or a daughter of God, then he wants the right kind of a filter. So he stops all sin on this side of the Bible, and he can only bring the Holy Spirit to the Bible that wrote the Bible. It's a holy man's taste to have this thinking man's filter. Now, we find how deceiving it is today. Matthew 24, 24, Jesus said in the last days that the two spirits would be so close to like until they would deceive the very elected if it was possible. How close, how, what a deception of, of right and wrong uh, we have today, even in our, in our government, in our politics. We, we haven't even got a man that we can put up as a politician that will absolutely stand up for what he thinks is right. Where is our Patrick Henry's and George Washington's and Abraham Lincoln's of today? Just as our president said there, the way that they want communism, they can have it, whatever the people wants. If that is uh, a man that won't speak his conviction, a man who'll stand on a principle, that'll stand on what, uh, what a principle, just want to go the, the, the way of least resistance. And that's the way that the people's got in the church. They want to come join church. And they say, oh, well, that, that's it. I, I'll join church now. You're trying to satisfy that great holy thirst that God put in you, that control tower trying to turn you to the right thing and you try to satisfy it with joining a church, quoting a creed, or something like that, when it's nothing but the very presence and filling of the God Himself in your life that'll satisfy that. You won't be satisfied with a creed. You'll never pull a creed through that Bible. No, there's not even the Apostles' Creed so-called will never come through there. Show me the Bible where the Apostles' Creed says, I believe in the Holy Roman Catholic Church. I believe in the communion of saints. 
When the Bible said there's one mediator between God and man, and that's the man Christ Jesus. You'll never pull that to the Bible. You'll never pull all these dances and shorts and things that the people are doing today, these twisting wasusies and all these things through God's Word. You'll never pull this modern trend of civilization through that Bible. It's against it. See? And you try to satisfy that thirst. But you see, it'll, this Bible will only satisfy a righteous man or woman's taste. This Holy Spirit that they'd laugh at and said, you've gone out of your mind. But that satisfies. That long. That's something that the world knows nothing about. They have perverted themselves from true baptism of the Holy Spirit in the Word of God unto what? Unto the cesspools. The cesspools of the church. Of dogmas and creeds and, and denominational differences and so forth. Say, you're a Christian, I'm Methodist, I'm Baptist, I'm Presbyterian. That don't mean one thing to God. Amen. Not one thing. You can't pull in things through God's Bible here. And you're trying to satisfy that holy thirst that God give you to thirst after Him. Is that right? Amen. Now, you know that David said, you're for the living God. Now, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh and dwell among us. Then there can be no satisfaction until this Word, which is God, becomes alive in you. Then you see God Himself fulfilling the promises that He made in the Bible. Now, we have different interpreters of the Bible. One church interprets it this way, another one interprets it that way, and another one this way. Some don't take but a little bit of it, some take here and there a piece of it. But God's His own interpreter. When He makes a promise and fulfills it, that's the interpretation thereof. If I promised you I'd be here tonight, and here I am. That's the fulfilling of my promise. If I say I meet you in the morning, and I'm there, that's my promise. They don't need to make any other excuses. I've got to be there. And when God makes a promise and it comes around and fulfills that promise, that's the interpretation of the promise. I dare anybody to take God at His word and see if every word in that Bible isn't the truth. That's right. That's what that thirst is in there. You say, if I would have lived in the days of Jesus, I would have done so and so. Well, you're living in His days. What are we doing about it? What are we doing? You say, well, what you done? Perhaps what the Pharisees done. They belonged to church and denied Jesus Christ. We always say today, people try to say we compare, we got to compare Bible leaf with Bible leaf, Scripture with Scripture. That isn't the truth. No, it isn't the truth. This Greek word means this and this means that. The Greeks themselves, the, way back in the Nicaea Council, and them writers back in there, they had different forms. One believed this way, this Greek scholar meant this, and the other said this and meant it this way. They fussed over it. We don't need interpretation of Greek scholars or Greek words to know Him is life, the person, Christ Himself. Not comparing. It's a revelation that God built His church upon. And if we don't build upon that same church, the Bible said, able by faith. And faith is a divine revelation. See? Faith is a divine revelation. All right? This whole thing's built upon the revelation then. And unless this is revealed to you, Jesus said, I thank thee, Father, that thou hast hid these things from the wise of this world and revealed it to babes such as will learn. See? Now, the whole thing is built there. You've got to know the person. 
And you cannot satisfy that by joining church. You've got to find the person, God himself, which is the word in, in interpretation of himself today. The promises that he made today. The people that he was going to have in this day. The church without spot or wrinkle. Don't mean a denomination. It means the persons, the individuals. Without spot or wrinkle. Be two in the bed. I'll take one, leave one. Two in the field. I'll take one, leave one. But when God, that holy thirst to be like him, and then you see that his word is in you vindicating itself, that you are God's servant. Whatever God says, you just tow right up to it. Then you're coming through the right process then to satisfy that holy thirst that's in you. Oh, of course, the people will laugh at you and say, you've lost your mind, you've gone crazy, but they remember what they're drinking from. See? Look where they're at. Could you imagine a big artesian well spurting up fine water and somebody down at one of them holes down there with dead tadpoles and creeds and everything on it, drinking down there, looking up, making fun of you? <laughs> Why, he doesn't know. He doesn't know what, the, what a thirst-quenching stream you're living at. That's exactly right. We got a living God. Not one that died 1,900 years ago and stayed in the grave, but one that raised again. Yeah. Hebrews 13, 8 says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same Holy Ghost that fell on the day of Pentecost is the same Holy Ghost that's here now. He's the satisfying potion because he is the Word. That's right. The Holy Ghost wrote the Word. He interprets the Word. The Bible said in 2 Peter that the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. Man of old, moved by the Holy Ghost, wrote the Bible. Now, you can't do it. You can't satisfy that holy thirst with nothing less than God himself living in you in the person of the Holy Spirit. Education, culture, joining churches, reciting creeds, going along into fellowships, all these things are very good, but they absolutely will not stop that holy hush. That holy thirst, rather, won't hush that holy thirst I was listening to Billy Graham, the great evangelist, the other night. I'll tell you, I'm praying more for him now than I ever did. And I see him really wrapping it to him the way they did. He said that bunch of clergymen coming down the road, them collars turned around, going down there where they had no business to go, sticking their nose in something. But they was going down the road, clapping their hands and patting their foot. Well, they look like unholy rollers. Now, you see, but they got something they, they believe in. They got something it, it excites the soul. They got something they was excited about. Some woman went and stuck her head in something down there and they thought she was a martyr. And she had no business to be into. Now we find that these men had something they could clap their hands about. They were happy they were doing something. Well, if you can do that for a, a principle that you think is right here, and then stand in the church and somebody clap their hands or pat the foot, the deacons will lead them out the door. See, they have turned their people to a filthy cesspool of creed and denomination instead of feeding them on the blessed holy word of God that's delivered by the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They, they try to, they quench the thirst by saying, I'm Dr. So-and-so or come out of a certain seminary or a certain school. That don't mean one thing. Not a thing. But you see, they, they try to satisfy themselves, say, now God will recognize me because I am his pastor. God will recognize me because I'm Holy Father so-and-so or Bishop so-and-so or something like that. They're trying to satisfy their thirst. And when you can't do it, 
I got a PhD, LLD, I got my Bachelor of Arts, I got this. That's all right. But to me, that just means you're that much farther away from God. That's right. That much further away from God all the time. You only know God by an experience. You cannot educate this into you. It's formed into you. It's something that God gives you. Education has nothing to do with it. One of the greatest men of the Bible couldn't even sign his name. St. Peter. That's exactly right. And him and John, the Bible said they were both ignorant and unlearned. But it pleased Jesus to give you the keys to the kingdom. Because he was thirsting for God. Amen. Thirsting for God. Fellowship. Yes, sir. As we get towards the end of this episode, we'll end with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank thee for your word. And Lord, a sincere lesson to learn how we should trust. And we pray, Father, may you lead us and guide us through all things. And we pray, thank you for your word which you've given us today. May it percolate to the depths of our souls. May we meditate on it. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Honey in the Rock, your daily dose of inspiration and encouragement. We hope to continue to earn your viewership throughout the year as we read the Bible from cover to cover. To make this a better listening experience for you, would really appreciate your feedback. So please email us at honeyintherock2020 at gmail.com. We also have accounts on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So please follow us, share our pages, and subscribe. Now we'll leave you with the parting song. God richly bless you.
Hey, hey, hey. 